The green light is on. Perfect. All right. So back to the coffee shop. I was in the coffee shop, and I was reading the Bible, and I just had one of these things that, you know, you just look at it and you go, oh, man, and you get really excited and always look around a little bit, and uh, everybody's looking at me like I'm a weirdo because, you know, nothing happened. But uh, I was reading it, and I, I came to this realization, and I was reading through Philippians chapter 2, which we've read through as we worshiped. And as you notice as we worshiped, we've said all these fantastic things about Jesus Christ, and we've, we've talked about who Jesus is. And, and the thing about it is, is what, when we talk about relationships and, and the way Christians view relationships, uh, we have to look to Jesus for that. And uh, the, the passage that we've looked at this morning, I want to read here in a minute. And uh, this is a passage about who Jesus is. And it's a passage about what it means to be a human being. Because we believe that Jesus was uh, 100% human. And this means that Jesus came not just to, to die and forgive us for our sins, which he did. Not even just to die and, and go to the cross and be resurrected, which he did. But Jesus comes as 100% human to teach us what it means to be a human being. To teach us what it means to live truly into what we are created to be. And so it's just beautiful as I sat there in that coffee shop and I thought of everything that's going on in the world. And, and I thought about all the people around me and I thought, you know, I don't know what their understanding of who a human is. But if we really believe that Jesus is what we should be as human beings, that's a radical truth to live. It's a radical truth to look at the life of Jesus and go, whatever that is, that's who I am at my core. If, if I would allow God to get rid of all the inhumanity and all of the other things, this is what it means to be human. And so when we talk about relationships being made in the image of God, being made for relationships, uh, we have to look at Jesus and say, being made human, being made in the image of God, what does that look like for us? And nothing is more at the heart of relationships than service. Nothing's more at the heart of relationships than that. And so I want to start this morning just by reading again the passage that we've read throughout the service in Philippians chapter 2. And this is known by a lot of people as a Christ hymn because even uh, thousands of years ago, these Christians in the early days would, would sing this the way that we've sang about Christ this morning. They would sing about who Jesus is, believing that they were singing about who we are as human beings. And uh, on purpose, it's not on the screen this morning because the Bible, this is a letter that would have been read to a people. And so I want you to just maybe close your eyes even this morning and, and hear this radically. Hear it like it's the first time. Hear it like it's a letter from God to you about what you were made to be. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but instead to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was in the form of God, did not regard that equality with God as something he should exploit, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. It's a simple prayer this morning, dear Lord, but it's, it's an honest and an earnest one. Teach us again how to...
how to be followers of Jesus. Teach us how to be human beings. Remind us of what it means to be made for relationship. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, one of the most bizarre episodes that ever happened to me in my life happened to me in my first year of marriage. Shocker that something bizarre would happen in your first year of marriage. Um, it was one evening about 8 o'clock, and Katie was, uh, she was making dinner for us. She was preparing a soup, and uh, we were living in Bulgaria at the time, our first year into marriage. And Katie said to me, hey, uh, you know that shop that we just discovered that sells the bread? Do you want to run out? It was about a, a block and a half away. Do you want to run down and grab us a fresh loaf of bread and uh, bring it back for dinner? And we had just discovered this little place. In Bulgaria, we didn't have a car, so she literally meant run. And I would run down, and there was this great little shop about a, a block and a half away from our apartment. And you could buy a, a, like a loaf of bread this big, just piping hot. And, of course, it's December in Bulgaria, so it's really cold. And, uh, you know, at least 20 degrees is cold to me. I know it's not some folks. But you could run down there and go in there and get a loaf of bread really cheap, and, and uh, it would just be piping hot. And I thought, man, I'd run down there, get this bread, come back, while we'll I have warm soup, while we'll I have piping hot, fresh baked bread. It's just awesome. So I, uh, I got ready and got my, my coat on and then my other coat on. And uh, I went out and went down to this store that's just a block and a half away. And uh, I got down there to the store, and I go in, and there's this, I'm just trying to set the scene. The building, there's a street that went like this, and the building's here, and there's one of those little windows that slides open, and they sell meats out of there and sausages and stuff. And then you go down, and there's a little door that goes in here. So I go in, and it's this little store. They sell some groceries and other type stuff. But the reason I was in there, and the reason that anybody would be in there, really, is that they had this little bakery over here, and they would sell this fresh-baked bread. And I mean, you just come out, you just smell it. I mean, it's 20 degrees outside. You come in, it's warm in there, and you just smell the bread, and oh, just your mouth starts watering. So I go in there and I give the guy, uh, it's, a, it's a young man, and he, he, I tell him I want a loaf of bread. So he hands me this bread, it's piping hot, and I walk over and set the bread down uh, in front of the counter. And there's this lady, this elderly lady standing there, and, and she looks at me, and I look at her and put the bread up there, and she says, uh, you're not Bulgarian, are you? And I just looked at her and I was like, no, I'm not Bulgarian. By the way, that's kind of a joke. That was an assumed question because I would have to be about six inches shorter with jet black hair, really stocky build, and black eyes to be Bulgarian, in which of all of those, I'm the opposite. So, um, so I told her, I said, no, I'm not. And she said, uh, you're an American, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am an American. And she said, why are you here? And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm here to buy the bread, you know, the bread. And she said, no, I mean, why are you in Bulgaria? Why are, what are you doing here in our country? And I said, well, I, I'm here for a couple of reasons. She said, okay. And I said, well, the first reason I'm here is just, I'm as a student. I'm, I'm here as a student of culture and anthropology. So I'm just studying. She said, why do you want to study our country? And I said, I just, because it's fascinating. And I just study all cultures and stuff. So I am you know, just studying. And she said, okay, well, what's the other reason you're here? And I said, well, you know, I don't like to use the term missionary which I shouldn't have, but I did. I, I don't like to use the term missionary, but I'm here, you know, as a Christian, and I'm trying to tell people about Jesus. So I'm studying culture and, and talking to people about Jesus. She said, what, you think you can come and tell us how to live? You think you can come and tell us what to believe? We've known about Jesus for a thousand years in this country. We had churches in this country before your country was ever even thought of. So how can you come in here in America and telling us about Jesus and telling us how to live? And I just was like, uh, uh, and she said, uh, that'll be 80 cents, you know, for the bread. Oh, back to the bread. Okay, all right, the bread. Okay. So she says, that'll be 80 cents, or 80 statinky is what they use in Bulgaria. I said, okay, all right. And I just realized, and I wish I could say this never happened to me, but it happened this morning. I lost my wallet. And so I didn't have it. And so I reached in my pocket, and I had a 20 lev or a $20 bill. And so uh, I said to this lady, well, you know, so I pulled it out, and I've, I, uh, I handed her the 20 lev. And she said, uh, don't you have a smaller bill than a 20 for, for 80 cents? 
And I said, no, I don't. I don't have my wallet with me. So I left. And she said, well, come back when you have a, a smaller bill. And I just looked at her and I said, what? And she said, when you have a smaller bill, I'm not breaking a 20 left for an 80 cents loaf of bread. So when you have a smaller bill, you can come back and you can buy the bread. And I said, you have to take this. I mean, it's, it's, it's money, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. You just, and she said, just, just leave. I, now, I'm not selling you the bread. Just leave. And I just looked at her and I was like, what is wrong with you? I didn't say that. But so I just, you know, I just kind of shrugged and I was like, okay. So I grabbed my 20 left, you know, put it in my pocket and walked out the door. And I stood there on that sidewalk outside that door, just fuming. Uh, it was freezing cold. I'm thinking, goodness gracious, I want my bread. And now I'm going to have to walk like a mile and a half or half a mile or whatever to get another loaf of bread over in Billa somewhere. And Billa's a restaurant, uh, grocery store there. And I thought, I just know I'm going to get home. And Katie's going to be like, how do you mess up getting a loaf of bread? I'll send you out for a loaf of bread. How do you mess that up? No, she wouldn't. But, uh, and I'm just fuming. And I thought, here I am in this, in this country. I, you know, she labels me as American, but I'm not here as an American. Really, I'm here as a Christian. I'm trying to teach people about Jesus. And this woman just ran all over me, man. I mean, like, I got rights, and, and I'm a human being. And she just trampled all over me and wouldn't take my money and just mean, hey, I've never done anything to this woman. How in the world did, did the relationship that we'd established as buyer and seller just you know, just implode for no reason. And I was just angry and I thought, what should I do? Do I, do I storm back in there and say like, I've got rights lady and you sell me that bread or, or else, you know, I mean, do, what do I do? Do I do that? Or, or do I just kind of get run over and go home thinking, well, you know, my goodness, I guess I'm just going to get beat up in Bulgaria the whole time I'm here. I mean, you know, uh, what, is, what should my reaction to hostility, to hostile relationship be? How should I act towards people that don't treat me well and tromp on my privileges? Because it's easy to love and serve and have a relationship with people that are really nice to you and, and treat you well. And so we don't ever have to, you know, we know how to treat those people. But what does it mean to be a Christian here in this new place where people are just downright mean and ornery? And so uh, this is the question that the Philippian church is dealing with. Paul, Paul is in a prison cell, literally chained to a soldier who is there to, to kill him or cut him up the minute that he tries to escape. And so Paul's pinning this letter to a church plant, a, a church plant not a, a whole lot unlike uh, BCC is from real life. Paul uh, planted this church. It was the first church ever to be planted in Europe in the city of Philippi. And Paul is sitting here and, and man, just has a really close relationship with these people in Philippi because Paul gave his resources and his time and, and founded this church less than 10 years ago. It's a young church. And, and uh, so here he is pinning this letter to these Philippians. He's writing a letter to people who are brand new Christians. I mean, just brand new at it. And so they're a young church and they're a young community. And Philippi is a very special place. It's a city in, in, a, in, a, in a region known as Macedonia. You might liken it to the state of Tennessee. And so it's the only city in that area that's a Roman colony, which means people there are Roman citizens. That means they have a lot of rights and privileges, and most of them are, are very affluent. In fact, when Paul planted the church in Philippi, the, he planted it along with the help of a lady named Lydia, and she probably became the pastor or the leader of that congregation. And Lydia was a very wealthy woman, and, and she was a businesswoman, and she, she uh, owned a business that had to do with dyes and dyeing cloth and stuff, probably purple or red. And uh, she was wealthy, and, and she had a whole household that was under her because, you see, these people that all their lives they'd been Roman citizens, they were used to that. They were used to the freedoms and the rights and the privileges of owning businesses and making money. And in Philippi, you had 
all these people that were Roman citizens with all their rights and privileges, and then just way down here at the bottom you had mostly just servants and slaves, and there wasn't a lot of middle class because in those days if you were a Roman citizen, uh, you just had a lot of rights and privileges, and they valued that. In fact, there were people in Philippi that even worshipped Rome. They worshipped the, the, the empire of Rome and the Roman emperor because they said, listen, we identify ourselves first and foremost as Roman citizens. And we owe all of our privileges and our rights and our freedoms and our safety uh, to, to Rome. And so why not worship Rome? And they identified themselves. If you were to, to say to them, uh, who are you? They'd say, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. And that would be sort of how they identified themselves. And then Paul plants this church of people. People who begin to believe in the way of Jesus. They begin to believe that they should not identify themselves primarily as Roman citizens, but they should identify themselves instead as citizens of the kingdom of God. And just like Rome has its principles and its rights and its freedoms and its characteristics, so does this, the kingdom of heaven under Jesus Christ. And so these people said, listen, it's not Rome that's at our core and our citizenship of that nation, but it's our citizenship in the kingdom of God, and it's Christ that unites us. And so uh, they, they had been a young church and, and had great relationships with everybody and very affluent. And then the day came that they walked in to buy a loaf of bread. And the person across the counter said, you're one of the Christians, aren't you? And they said, well, yeah. And they said, well, what right do you have? What right do you have to come in into our neighborhood and into our city and tell us how to live and tell us what's right and wrong? How, what right do you have to say that, that Rome is, is not the almighty authority? What right do you have to say that your kingdom citizenship is, is higher than our Roman citizenship? You know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not selling you bread. Get out. I'm not selling you bread. All of a sudden, these Philippians are dealing with not only the fact that people won't sell to them, but they're dealing with the fact that they have things to sell, uh, like probably Lydia and her cloth and her dyes, and other people had other businesses, and the Roman citizens in Philippi would no longer buy from them, much less sell to them. I mean, can you imagine this, that all your life you've enjoyed these rights and privileges and, and you've not been trampled on and people treat you well because you deserve it and you, you know, you're, you're as good as anybody else. And then all of a sudden, they begin to have their rights trampled on. And I mean, come on, they're, they're not being thrown in the amphitheater. Lions aren't eating them. They're not being beaten. But man, almost as bad as just this realization that your rights are being trampled, your privileges are being trampled, and people are treating you hostile. Uh, there's a lot of hostility in your community, and suddenly your relationships are beginning to break down. And so the people say to Paul, uh, the Philippians, and Paul begins to write them because they say, Paul, how do we live in the midst of this? How do we build relationships with people? How do we act? Paul, more, we're more interested than anything else. We're not interested in making money or being, or being popular or being, you know, the most important is we want to be the church. We want to be Christians, and we want to respond the way Christians should respond, and these people are trampling our rights. Paul, what do we do? Do we, do we just lay down and, and just take it and get beat up and act like, you know, we're just victims, and I guess as Christians, we'll just be victims? Or, or Paul, do we, do we walk into that bread shop and say, now you're going to sell me that bread because I've got rights, you know, and, I, and I'm a Roman citizen, see, just like you, but I'm, I'm also a, a Christian, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you have to serve me. And do we just stand up for our rights and privileges and demand that, that people recognize them? Paul, how do we be the church in this new situation where uh, our relationships are defined as much by hostility as anything? They ask Paul this because they don't have to ask Paul how to act when people treat you good. Listen, if you treat me real nice, I'm going to serve you because it's easy, right? If you treat me real nice, our, our relationship's going to be established on, on me uh, taking care of your interests because you take care of my interests, and that's just easy in the way it goes. That anybody knows that, but, but how do you act when the culture around you, when people 
establish relationships with you that for some reason just seem to be based on hostility. And so Paul begins to write to them. And in the first chapter, Paul writes to them, he says, listen, first of all, I just want you to know that, man, your, your faith is incredible and the love of Jesus that exists with you guys. I mean, people are hearing about it. New people are coming to Christ because of who you are. And it's a beautiful thing. And he says, but I understand you're in the middle of, of, of a hostile environment and, and things are getting rough. And he says, this is the first thing you need to keep in mind. You have to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. This is at the foundation that you have to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. This is like when I read this, if you read the whole letter of Philippians, he's in the first chapter. It's like a coach before a good football game just pep you know just getting everybody pepped up he says listen whatever you do whatever your reaction is however you establish relationships with these people what's most important is that your life be worthy of all that you've received in jesus christ and so then he begins with chapter two and he begins a chapter almost like this if you really are a christian community and i love this because you, you heard ashley read about compassion and being of one mind and joy being complete and you heard about love and you heard about unity, and you heard about encouragement, and you heard about all these wonderful things in the Christian community, all these things, sharing in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I mean, all these beautiful things that define a, a Christian community. And Paul says, if you're going to call yourselves Christian, this is how you should respond. This is how you should live. This is going to be the only way that you can be more than just a victim that lays on the street and not the same as somebody else that tramples on others so that they can have their rights no matter what. This is how you be Jesus, the people of Jesus. He says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. I mean, think about that. I mean, all of a sudden, my whole mentality's changed standing on that street corner with the cold wind blowing my face because, listen, selfish ambition, I want my bread. And I want my bread hot, and I want it now, and I want to go home, and I don't want to be in the cold, and I don't want to have to walk all the way to Bill on the other side of town to get my bread. I want my bread. And suddenly, if I'm not doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, my bread suddenly is not the issue, but the lady across the counter is the issue. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, Paul says, but rather regard others as more valuable than yourself. I mean, I want you to think about that. That lady trampled all over me, y'all. And Paul says, listen, this is what Christians do. If you are a Christian community, if you're somebody that has experienced the compassion and the unity and the joy and the love and the encouragement and the spirit of Jesus, then, then don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but rather regard that lady as better than yourself. I mean... Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world like that. Yeah, yeah, I know it's going to mess up all of your rights and privileges and stuff, but don't worry about those for now. We'll get to that. Just regard her as better than yourself. And do nothing out of ambition or conceit. Then he goes on and he says this. He says, look not to your own interests, but instead look to the interests of others. I love this passage because there are a lot of translations and maybe you have one and you were reading it and you said, hmm, mine says, look not only to your own interests but to the interest of others. I, that's not in the Bible. I don't really know why they do that. That's weird because it's not in there because uh, that would almost make it sound like once you've taken care of yourself and your interests, then look to other people's interests once you know that you're all good. But that's not at all what this is saying. That's not Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus had come to the world and looked after himself first and then thought about you and me? Paul says, listen, don't, no, don't look to your own interests. Instead, look to the interests of others. Once again, now I'm thinking about the lady behind the counter and I'm thinking about the, the Philippians are no longer thinking about themselves. 
themselves and their own interest and how they're going to make it and what they're going to do. But now they're thinking about the people, their neighbors and their community and the relationships where people will not. And it's about the relationship instead of the stuff. And it's about the other instead of me. And suddenly I'm wondering, why does that woman hate Americans? Why does she hate Christians? Why does she hate me? I wonder what's going on in her life. I wonder what it would take to, to make her a little sweeter. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on with her, but she must need something because she seems really hurt or really betrayed or, or really downtrodden. So, I mean, can you imagine a world? We live in such a com- com- competitive society, don't we? I mean, it's football season, and, and everything's so competitive. It just makes me think about life. I mean, we compete for more money. I'm, I'm one, I make more money than you, and I brag about it. Or I sing better than you, and I brag about it. Or even when it comes to, to, to our faith, sometimes we get out of control, and I want to be more holy than you are, so i got to be holier than you, or i got to pray longer than you pray. You pray for 30 minutes, I pray for 32 minutes. What? You know, I mean, all this competitive stuff, I mean, it just gets totally out of control. And, and Paul says, in the midst of this competitive culture, I mean, Rome was the same, where you had the business owners and the affluent and all these making all their money and everything, outdoing the slaves and the servants down here. And Paul says, listen, in that world, know that if you're going to define yourself, and listen, you can define yourself in a lot of different ways. Businessman, businesswoman, uh, mother, father, uh, you know, citizen of Rome, citizen of the United States, citizen, whatever. You can define yourself in a lot of different ways. But if you're going to say that at my core, who I am is a citizen of a kingdom where Jesus is Lord. Then don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. That is scandalous stuff. I love I love it. Paul, Paul says this just with such boldness to the Philippians. And then he finally says, be the same kind of people that Jesus is. Let the same mind, and this is the decision-making center, this is the, 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 the springing board for the actions of your body and your life, the mind. This is the pondering, the understanding, the, the strategizing, the long-term planning part of your, of your brain and your body. Let the mind even control the desires that is in Jesus be the mind that is in you. And Paul begins to talk about Jesus. And I love this because what Paul is reminding them is, listen, Philippians, I know you're young Christians, but in case you forgot, Jesus didn't just come to die on the cross and save you, which he did. Jesus didn't just come to rise from the dead, which he did. Jesus came as fully human so that he could show you how to be a human being. And if you say that you are a follower of the way of Jesus, then you believe that the way of Jesus is the way of humanity. And Jesus lived like this, though he was God. Jesus is no longer just the one who empowers our salvation, but he serves as the example of the way saved people live. Though Jesus is God, you want to talk about setting aside your rights. Jesus is God. Before time began, Jesus is and forever will be. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, in the beginning, nothing was created. Not your body, not mine. Nothing was created without him. And as God, he comes and he sets it all aside and he becomes a peasant's kid. A peasant's kid. And he grows up a peasant's kid. This, this God, he did not consider any of his divinity, any of his, God, any of his God's status, any of his rights and privileges as the creator of all things, did not consider any of that as something that he should exploit to make sure nobody runs over him. But because he's human and because this is who God is, Jesus takes all of those privileges and rights and empties them. And kneels down to prostitutes and serves them. And sits down with greedy tax collectors and serves them. And, and washes feet and serves meals 
even turns to the person who will betray him. Have you ever been betrayed? The person that was the closest to him, one of his inner circle, turns to him the night before he'll die because of this betrayal and serves him a meal. Jesus did not consider his divinity to be exploited, but emptied himself and became a servant. Even, even to the point, not only did he offer up his actions and his hands, not only did he serve food, not only did he serve water to wash feet, but he served up even his own breath and his body and his blood that our interests would be put before his. And just in case you think that ultimately that doesn't work because Jesus was all about Jesus, because Jesus was glorifying himself, in the, in the end it says, so now that Jesus is highly exalted, every knee will, will bend, everyone will bow uh, at the name of Jesus Christ to the glory, not of Jesus, but of the Father. So even in everything Jesus does, everything he does is literally about seeking the interests without selfish ambition. It's serving the interests of God and the interests of everyone around him, whether they're a prostitute or they're a Samaritan or they're a tax collector, all the people that would be the hardest for any of us to serve. Jesus establishes his relationship with the prostitute and the tax collector the same way he establishes it with fishermen, the same way he establishes it with kings and queens, the same way he establishes his relationships with you and me is by serving himself, serving us with himself. And Paul says, this is who you are to be. This is how to live as followers of the way of Jesus in the world. What would that look like? What would it look like if you and me, because see, Paul's talking to individuals, but he's not just talking to individuals. He's talking to a church, a new church plant. He's talking to us, not just me and you. What would it look like if in our world suddenly we became a people who did nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but rather regarded others as better than ourselves? What would it look like if you sought after the interests of others instead of your own? What would it look like if we really believe that Jesus, his life is the model for how we be human, how we become human? I, I would, you know, sometimes you look at the example of Jesus and you say, well, that's Jesus, you know, and look, listen, fair enough. It's Jesus. It's, you know, I'm Joshua and that's Jesus. And, uh, and listen, Joshua's not Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus did things I could never do. And so, you know, it's nice that that was Jesus because I need Jesus to be that way because if not, then I, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be saved and all that. And that sounds really great. But I mean, it's Jesus. It's not like I can live up to that, right? It's not like that's something that I can do. I mean, that's one of those things where you look at and go, man, that's really nice and perfect, but we live in the real world. So that's not the kind of thing that we can really live into. And we say things like that. And listen, fair enough. It's intimidating. Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm one of those people that I'm in a, I'm in a really, uh, really scary place and that I actually do believe that I should live the way Jesus lives. And sometimes I read Jesus's life and I go, yikes, that's a lot to live up to, you know. And so I understand that sometimes we can kind of get, get, get out of, you know, get out of living into this sort of example. I was, this is what really got me in the coffee shop. This is why I had a professor say to me one time, you'll know you found something good to preach on when you jump up and you want to run around the building screaming. I didn't do that. I wanted to, but I didn't because uh, I want to keep going there. But I was sitting there studying, and I was thinking about this, and I'd read this Christ hymn, and I thought, man, that's so much. I mean, it's so much. And I was remembered that uh, this week thinking about preaching out of Philippians made me think about the Gospel of John, because for several reasons, John connects to Philippians very well. And uh, I went back and read 
chapter 12 of John. I'd read it that morning. And so I pulled up my computer and I, I got it on the screen. I looked up John chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, where Jesus is looking around at his disciples. Because he's just said something just as scandalous as what we've heard this morning in the, in the letter to the Philippians. I mean, Paul's literally only repeating in different words what Jesus himself said. And so Jesus had said this, and his disciples are all looking at him like he's a creep. I mean, there's, there's just no way we can live into this. You're crazy. And Jesus looks around at him, and he says this in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. He says, all those who believe in me will do the same works that I did. And I can only imagine him maybe just kind of leaning there and saying, and even greater works than these he'll do because I'm going to the Father. I mean, in case you don't believe in yourself, Jesus believes in you. And he says to his disciples, it's not only that if you believe in me, you can live the life that I've lived, a life that kneels to prostitutes, a life that sits with tax collectors, a life that offers up life and resource and breath and even blood and body for the interests of others. It's not just that you can live in this way and do these things, but you can do even greater things than these because, you know, Jesus, we read a lot of these stories about him and, and we think, man, there's nothing Jesus couldn't do. But Jesus being fully human means that Jesus is limited. You know, I think a lot about the stories where someone's trying to get to Jesus and they just barely grab the end of his cloak. And that's the best they can do because so many people want to experience Jesus that they can just barely grab the end of his robe. But they're, they're immediately healed, right? Immediately their, their disease goes away. And we would say, praise God, and we tell that story. But there were probably thousands of others that day who could not reach that robe. I mean, it's just a fact. You got a body, I got a body. And if there are 10,000 of us bodies, somebody's in the back. And, and listen, that's part of it. And Jesus leans into the disciples who were able to encounter him intimately, personally, individually, because they traveled and they shared life and they ate meals with Jesus. And so they gather around and he says, you'll do the works that I do. They'd seen it, they'd experienced, they'd lived the presence of God in Jesus. But you see, the reason even greater things are possible for those who believe now is because when Jesus goes to the Father, the Spirit is coming. And the Spirit is not limited. The Spirit can reside in you and it can reside in me and it can teach us how to be human beings together at the same time. And as it teaches you how to be a human and it teaches me how to be human, suddenly we with it begin to teach the world how to be human. And Jesus says, listen, you will live the way I live when you believe. And Paul says to the Philippians, you can define yourselves in a lot of ways, but if you want to say you're a people of Jesus, when you're surrounded by relationships that just for some reason seem to end up being based on all kinds of bad stuff and all kinds of divisions, establish relationships having no ambition selfishly or regarding others as better than yourself. Looking to the interests of others, having the same mind, the same desires, the same passions, the same dreams of serving as Jesus did because the Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will empower you to live this way to the glory of God the Father. What would it look like if we believed the way of Jesus was a way of establishing relationships based on this and we even believed we could live it too and even greater things means by the power of the Spirit. I want to pray for us uh, and after I do, if you look around you, there should be some papers and pens um, the, the, you might have to look a little, I think we had some gaps, there were papers, but look around. If there's not one in front of you, there should be one near you. Um, listen, uh, could you imagine if Jesus had talked a really good talk but never really done anything? Could you imagine if God was a God of, of theories and philosophies instead of a God of, of a body and of ten fingers and ten toes? 
Uh, th this is not a message that, that the Philippians would have a hard time living out because, I mean, the next day they were going to wake up and have to look their neighbor in the face. The, the, the piece of paper that you have is a way to respond to this. When God tells us something like this, you've you got to respond. You just have to. And so this paper has on it the question of how to empty yourself. And listen, I want to invite you for the next few minutes, we're going to turn on a song, to just meditate, pray, ask God how you can live out the life that Christ lived out in establishing relationships through service, establishing relationships. What is service? I mean, you want a definition of service. No selfish ambition, regarding others as better, interests of someone else rather than your own. I mean, this is service. How can you live that out? I mean, listen, it, who's your neighbor? I mean, like, who's the person that lives next door to you? Do you know their name? Do you know who they are? Can you write their name down and, and list things that God might want you to do? Who's your coworker? Who's your Listen, if you don't know your neighbor's name, you know your worst enemy's name. The person you dislike the most, you know their name because it's hard to put up with them. I got a neighbor that's a jerk. I do. Listen, I, I got a neighbor that's a jerk. I've heard the F-bomb dropped like five times, I've, you know, and I've, you know, it's, it's a jerk. And I was sitting in the coffee shop even studying for this sermon, and I, I was sitting there, and, and I was reading this and, and thinking about this, and God said, what about, what about the neighbor that you call a jerk that's mine and beautiful and a human being? And how can you take all of your rights and privileges and, and your, your desire and your right to have a day without having an F-bomb dropped on you? And how can you take all of that and say, you know what, good for that, and set it aside and start looking after the interests of that person instead of your own interests? What if you put aside your ambition and instead regarded that person as better than yourself? How would that relationship look? So take a few minutes and get, man, get real about it. How, starting today, tomorrow, this week, can you live this life of service and establish new relationships? Not only with your neighbor and your coworkers and your family and the people that you like the most, but with the people that drive you crazy and the people whose relationships you have are established on something a lot more shaky than that love and that service. So let's take a few minutes. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take a few minutes, and, and we'll journal a little bit. Father, um, keep us from being attended people. Keep us from sitting there and thinking, I, don't, I just can't live up to that. God, of course we can't live up to that, but that's why you say, my spirit. My spirit. That's why you say you can do greater things than these, not because we just need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better, but because you, in, you breathe us into your very life, and then you breathe us out into this world with the same character as your son Jesus. So empower us to, to live the life the way that we believe in and make us bold about it. May, may names be written down that are names of people that when we see them coming, our, our, our skin begins to tingle. Those people that normally when we see them go into their mailbox, all of a sudden we can wait another hour for our mail. Uh, may we write those names down as well as our spouses and our children and our grandparents and our parents. May we write those names down well. Make us an emptied out people for service. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Take some time. Listen to the Lord.